Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Very thankful for Grace Baptist Church. Um, This morning I am bringing a message, and it's entitled, How to Answer the Gay Marriage Question at School. How to Answer the Gay Marriage Question at School. And I know that there are preachers all over America that want to address this. And honestly, they're afraid of what would happen in their churches if they did. And at Grace Baptist, it's more what would happen if our, in our church if I didn't. And that's, that's a blessing. This is The church is the moral compass of the nation. Amen? We must be the moral compass of the nation. And it's the preacher's job to address these things in the culture and to equip you for the work of the ministry, Ephesians chapter 4. And I I feel like in this, or I honestly believe that in this culture, we must be prepared more and more and more to answer these things. I want to begin, how many of you think that Jesus' words are a good place to begin on a subject like this? So let's look at what Jesus, how many of you saw that just this week, um, uh, trying to think of who it was that said it, that Jesus would approve of gay marriage? How many of you saw that in the news? that Jesus Christ would, would approve of gay marriage. Well, let's see if that's true. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, and let's look at verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now, what is Jesus Christ claiming here? The authority of creatorship. So what is it that Satan has to undermine? Creation. Isn't that interesting? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning hath made them... What are those two words? USC, I think it was USC or UCLA. Now on their admissions form, they allow the the young people to check six different identifiers. Folks, there are not that many. Look what it says in verse 5. And said, For this cause shall a person leave a person and another person and shall cleave to his person and they, however many, shall be however many flesh. Now, that is kind of funny. You got to admit, regardless of your position, that's kind of funny. That's not the language of the Bible. The language of the Bible is very specific, and this is the language of our Savior. And so let's read it the way that he said it. Why don't we read verse 5 out loud together? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us as we study this subject And Lord, it is a heavy time to be a Christian in Western culture and in the United States of America. And Lord, help us not to be discouraged. Help us to recognize the truthfulness of your word and the authority that it gives us in a pagan culture. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk with you about how the world works. How the world works. We have come to a time where people's opinions are not based on 
fact, it's based on opinion, it's based on emotion, it's based on consensus. And Margaret Thatcher famously said when referring to President Clinton that consensus is the negation of leadership. And consensus, you could get a group of people to agree on just about anything if you sold it properly. So consensus means nothing. It has nothing to do with the truth. There was a consensus in Roman Catholicism that Copernicus was wrong. Well, that consensus was wrong. When the Bible had described the correct movement of the celestial bodies thousands of years before. You see, it, the, the, it does not matter what consensus says. That is not our authority. As Christians, our authority is the Word of God. Now, let me say, I am not speaking this morning for the Republican Party. I'm not speaking for the Democrat Party. I'm not speaking for Christians in the world. I am giving the, the truth of the Word of God to people who claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That is my audience today. If you are here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, your position on gay marriage is so much less important than whether or not Jesus Christ is your Savior and heaven is your home. That is the most important thing. The thing that, that you need to know more than anything else is that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sin. He loved you so much that He gave His own life for you. And if you were the only person in the world, he still would have done it. And he paid your penalty so that you don't have to go to hell and so that you can go to heaven. Isn't that exciting? That is the, that's the heart behind this. That is our Savior. He is the one that gave us the truth. And his truth is the foundation for everything that we believe on this subject. And there is great confusion in the world today over truth, over the authority of God's word, and over a subject as clear as gay marriage. I had someone on an airplane ask me one time, what do you think about gay marriage? Because they found out that I was a preacher. I'll tell you one of the, one of the, the, oh, one of the most shocking things that ever happened to me. I sat down on an airplane. There's a seat in between, and there was a guy sitting in the other seat. And uh, so we just started chatting. He said, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he said, oh, that's great. My husband's a pastor. I, I never imagined in my life that someone would say that to me. And here's the, here's the sad thing. This is what the world thinks of us. They would think that I then started yelling at him, calling him names, throwing things at him, wanting him to die. That's not the case. That is a soul for whom Jesus Christ shed His blood. Amen. Amen? Amen? These are situations that we have. I had another time, the story that I began to tell you before I interrupted myself, was someone said to me, what do you think about gay marriage? I said, what do you mean? Well, you know, gay marriage, what do you think? I, I don't understand. Well, gay marriage, you know, I, no, I don't, what do you mean? Well, you know, a, a man marrying a man. I said, that's not marriage, what are you talking about? And eventually the guy got my point that marriage, by definition, is the union of one man and one woman before God for life. That is what marriage is. And so the, the decision by the Supreme Court on this subject 
you have heard it said that it redefined marriage. How many of you have heard it said that that decision redefined marriage? That's not a true statement. It undefined marriage. Scalia, Justice Scalia in his dissent said now it's opened the door to, to polygamous marriage because Justice Stevens' reason for this is that it hurts the feelings of homosexuals not to be able to marry each other. Well, I'm sure that it hurts the feelings of polygamists not to be able to marry each other. Is that right? So really the, the basis for the decision is just taken out of thin air and let me be very clear here. The Constitution says nothing about marriage. It's not mentioned. It says nothing about marriage. So the Supreme Court had no authority to even make a decision on the subject. So civically, we're out of control. It's very important that we get that. The Supreme Court has no place deciding this subject, but... We, we let that go a long time ago. When we allowed FDR to completely rebuild the Supreme Court in order to defend the decisions that he was wanting to make, that battle was lost, and we should have impeached these judges a long time ago. But again, that battle is lost. So when we look at this subject, we must understand that we have to start with the world itself and with the nature of mankind. We can't begin the subject with gay marriage. We have to begin with the nature and the makeup of humanity. What is the makeup of humanity? Go to Romans chapter 5. And look at verse 12. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. The Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man... That's Adam. Sin entered into the world and death, by, <clears throat> and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Romans 3.23 makes it very clear. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many of you recognize that we are all sinners? Is that right? We are all sinners. Go to Jeremiah chapter 17. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible. If you look under the, the chair in front of you, there's a Bible provided. You're going to need that today. Look at verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And I, I think many of you have heard me say this before. When you, there, there's, in our culture, there's Jiminy Cricket theology. Follow your heart. Pinocchio. That commercial where Pinocchio's the uh, motivational speaker. You have potential. Ah. <laughs> it's hilarious. I love that. <laughs> One of the funniest things I've ever seen. But Jiminy Cricket... This idea of follow your heart, so I'm going to tell Davy, Evan, Davy, get it right? Okay, Davy, Davy. I'm going to tell Davy, follow your heart. But which being interpreted is, Davy, find that which is desperately wicked and follow that. <laughs> How many of you recognize that's bad advice? And 
I hope you all recognize that Justice Stevens' decision was based on people following their hearts. The Bible tells us in 1 John that your heart will deceive you. It will lie to you. Why? Because it's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Well, the heart wants what the heart wants. Yeah, because it's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So let's all say this out loud. What is the heart? It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And then look at what it says. Who can know it? How many of you have heard this advice? You need to know your own heart on this. You can't know your own heart on it. Why? Because it will lie to you. So what do we need? We need an objective standard. Right? Your heart is a subjective standard. We must have an objective standard. That is, something that is outside of me by which I can know how to live. So you're going to build a building. All right? And you want to be the authority. And you say, I don't need a tape measure. Right? I think that's about right. How are you going to do? Have you ever had somebody try to level something by eye? How many of you have seen that happen? It's so funny. I'll watch Laura. I'll level a picture. And I'll say, how's that look? And I look back at her and she's going like this. <laughs> okay, do your head like this and maybe we can tell which way it's going to go. It is so interesting how subjective we are. So because our hearts, we can, that can't be where we look. Well, I feel, I think, it doesn't matter what I feel or think. Uh, there must be an objective standard, right? And we understand that the objective standard is the absolute Word of God. Now let me get something out of the way. How many of you recognize there are people that that is not their standard? That's not my audience today. I have a different sermon for them. This sermon is for people where this is our objective standard. All right? And it is the Word of God. All right, so now, here's my message. What you need to know about the subject, how to answer a weak-minded Christian, and how to answer a homosexual who's lost. Okay? That's, that's my outline. So, number one what you need to know about the subject. The first thing is man's problem. And man's problem is we are deceitful. We're desperately wicked. We are all sinners and we deserve hell. Remember, God created man in, Romans, or in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 2 reiterates that and gives some more information. The fall takes place in Genesis chapter 3. By Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says that God saw that the imaginations of man's heart were only evil continually. Is that right? And the rest of the Bible is the history of mankind's depravity and God's grace in reaching to them to give them salvation. That's what the Bible is about. And that one day that king, Jesus Christ, is going to return and sit on a throne and judge the world righteously. That's the theme of the Bible. The, the, the Bible is all about that king sitting on that throne and how man desperately needs him. 
And so the Bible gives us that information. So what you need to know is man's problem is, is that we are desperately wicked. We are sinners. Then what you need to know is that sin must be restrained or man will destroy himself. Sin must be restrained or man will destroy himself. Go to Psalm chapter 7. Psalm 7. And this message is for the young people to be able to answer it. But many of you school teachers, many of you who have influence, I'm going to try and and be a help to you as well. Look at what the Bible says in verse 11. Psalm 7 and verse 11. Uh, I, I love verse 10. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. That's a blessing. How can you be upright in heart with the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Because your heart's desperately wicked. Look at verse 11. God judgeth the righteous. God is angry with the wicked every day. Have you ever heard someone say, God's not mad at you? Liar, liar, pants on fire. If you're not saved, God's mad at you. That's an interesting concept, isn't it? Is there any ambiguity in this statement? Look at it again. God judgeth the righteous. God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow. He hath made it ready. Okay, so if you, Ethan, right? Every person is under the judgment of God. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not is condemned already. It's very important that we get this. This is what we're dealing with. This is not homosexuals. They'd be included. This is you and me. This is everyone. This is the the position of the human race. That's why Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for us. The, The young people just sang about grace. The only way that we can be saved from any of that is by grace, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Because we are sinful, God is angry with the wicked every day, and you are under that penalty Then, if you're not saved. If you are saved, hallelujah. Look at verse 13. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. Now, look at the the persecutor. This is the sinner. This is the person who is attacking the truth. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity and hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. What we need to understand, those who worked out at the fair this week, Bob gave us a testimony on that, Justin, and all of you who worked out at the fair. Justin, how many were saved? So 15 souls going to be in heaven many of whom would have never had the opportunity to hear the gospel if you weren't there. Isn't that awesome? But it was some labor to get out there. Right? How many of you, honestly, you're just kind of scared to death to do that? Right? Just So it's labor to open your mouth and, and, and speak those things. It's a, it's, it's a travail. And, of course, you know that travail, that's the word the Bible uses for childbirth. Um, one of the greatest fears among people is public speaking. Isn't that interesting? 
The idea of giving somebody the gospel, there's a fear that goes along with that, and there's a travail. But here, the Bible says that these people that are against God, they travail, they work hard to go against God. That's the world that we live in. And they're very successful. But God has given us... Now, how many of you recognize that the world is evil? Right? God has given us four restraints, four things to restrain the evil. Because if the evil is not restrained, then mankind will be destroyed. Okay? It's not global warming. There's going to be an earth for Jesus Christ to destroy when He returns, whether I use hairspray or not. Right? Can you imagine thinking that your can of hairspray is going to ruin the world? You've got to take your brain out and play with it to think like that. It's just... It's really insane. How many of you kids have heard something about global warming at school? Would you raise your hands. You've heard something about it. Okay, let me tell you something. Okay, this is a different sermon. It's just so stupid. It is just the dumbest thing in the world. They tell you that 99% of scientists agree with it. That's just a bald-faced lie. They're just lying. Okay, so now. The Bible says... There's a way that seemeth right unto a man. And the ends thereof are the ways of death. And so because man is is innately sinful, and one of the dangers of liberal theology is the innate goodness of man. Right? That's the idea that there's a spark of good in every man. No, that's a lie. That's a lie. The Apostle Paul said that in me, that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. That means there's no spark of goodness. Right? Is that right? And so it's very important that we get this. Because man is so sinful, if he has his way and is not restrained, he will destroy himself and everyone else with him. So God has given four restraints. The first restraint that God gave was self-control. Self-control. Control yourself. Right? Control yourself. Is there anyone here that has relieved themselves in the chair since we've been here? I know someone's thinking, I've never heard that in church before. First of all, first of all, I hope not. And why haven't you? Because you have self-control. It's interesting, the Bible uses the word incontinent. That word now, that's all that it covers for the most part, is not being able to hold it. <laughs> right? You all recognize that? that? That's not the way the Bible uses the word. The Bible uses the word incontinent for people who have no self-control. So we have a culture that is out of self-control. So God gave man self-control, and the weapon he gave was the conscience. Look at Romans chapter 2. Verse 14, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their, what's it say? Conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. 
So what the Bible says very clearly is that God built self-control into the man, even into the fallen man, and he gave the conscience in order to restrain the person. The conscience. God gave the conscience. And so let me just go through these quickly. The second weapon that he gave is the family. The family. And the weapon that he gave, the, the second restraint is the family. The weapon that he gave the family is the rod. The rod. Go to Proverbs chapter 13. All right, so we're still under what you need to know. Proverbs chapter 13. Look at verse 24. He that spareth the rod, what's it say? Hateth his son. Why you got to be such a hater? (laughs) He that spareth his rod, hateth his son, but he that loveth him, chasten him be times. That means many times. That's you're spanking your child and you say, I'm not done yet. (laughs) It's, It's corporal punishment. All right, look at uh, Proverbs 19 and look at verse 18. Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. It's interesting. He gave the family a restraint. It's the rod. Look at chapter 23. Look at verse 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. I love my child too much to spank him. Isn't that interesting? No, you don't love your... If that's your case, you hate him. You hate him. You see, God gave... In order to restrain sin in the world, God gave self-control, and the weapon that He gave is the conscience. Then God established the family, and that family is one man and one woman before God for life. And the weapon that He gave that family is the rod. Why? Because foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, and it must be driven from him. And we have a culture where that foolishness has not only been allowed to flourish, but has been encouraged. Right? The third weapon that God gave, or the third restraint that God gave is human government. Government, and God gave government a weapon, and that weapon is the sword. Go to Romans chapter 13. Look at verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. All right? Uh, Look at verse 4. For he is the minister of God to thee for... What's the Bible say? Good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth... What does the Bible say? Evil. All right, so God gave government as a human government, as a restraint for the sin and wickedness in the world. And he gave the government a weapon, and that weapon is the sword. And he has intended for government to use it to stop evil and promote good. And what has Satan done to human government? It's interesting, isn't it? God gave a fourth restraint, 
and that restraint is the church, and the weapon is the gospel. Because the government can never change a person's heart. The government can control a person's behavior by the threat of the sword, but the government can never change a person's heart. But the gospel can. A man's heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and they need that heart to be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only hope in the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church, the New Testament church, is vital to the restraint of evil in the world, and the world wants to shut us up. There are so many Christians that do not want me, Jim Alter, to say this today. There may be some people in the room. I just don't think Pastor Jim ought to do these things. I hope not. My job is to tell you the truth and to confront the culture. That's what we as a church are going to do. But if we become weak-minded, if we become milquetoast and don't stand up and speak the truth in love, then where are they ever going to hear the truth? And the reference for the church being and our weapon being the gospel is 1 Corinthians 9, and we're going to go there at the end of the service. So what you need to know is that man's problem is, is we are exceedingly sinful and God has given four restraints to the culture, but Satan has attacked it. Think about the conscience. Think about Satan's attack on the conscience. How many of you have seen the videos of the Planned Parenthood doctors dismembering the babies and selling the body parts? Who here has not seen that? Would you raise your hand? Hold them up real high. Now look, look at this. We need to know about this stuff. Do you know why you don't know about it? ABC spent 15 times more news time on the killing of the lion than they did on the dismemberment and selling of the baby parts. Media is lying to you. Why? Because Satan is the prince of the power of the air. The media is controlled by Satan. Those people hate you. They wouldn't spit on you if you were on fire. They hate you. And you can tell because most of the news stories about the videos exposing Planned Parenthood are attacking the video makers. So what's going on? We have a culture whose conscience, the Bible describes it, describes it their consciences having been seared as with a hot iron. The conscience is seared. It no longer feels. The conscience of the culture has been removed. Now, how many of you think that cutting up babies and selling their parts is bad? It's very interesting. It's very interesting. Those that are in charge of education in our country, those who are in charge of the media, those who are in charge of the government think you're crazy. You need to understand that. So that influence of the conscience has been reduced to where it's only contained in the church. And the church is silent. So there's no conscience. Then God gave the family. God gave the family. And of course, we know the family is God. No, you're not. God made the male and female created he them. And it's one man, one woman for life. That's the family. 
And so how is that being attacked now? Well, it can be a man and a man. It can be a dog and a man. It can be a whatever. Whatever. And that is being undermined. But it was undermined before that without of, out of marriage, childbirth. And one of the things that happens, because Americans have such short memories, you don't, people think that it's always been this way, and the television shows and the movies make you think it's always been this way. But in 1960, less than 6% of babies were born out of wedlock. Now it's almost 50%. And this is where, this goes along with the education on homosexuality where young people are told that it's a healthy alternative lifestyle, and we're going to look at that in a minute. People have the idea that it's okay to have children outside of marriage. The only problem is you are 83% more likely to be in poverty if you're born to parents outside of marriage. Now, how many of you think that's a good idea? We spent, as a nation, in 2012, $450 billion on welfare and other benefits. $450 billion in 2012. $330 billion of that went to single parents and their children. Is that interesting to you? How many of you think that's an interesting number? You see, what you're doing, what the culture is doing by saying that marriage is not important is it's dooming people to live in poverty. 71% of people who are, are uh, single parents are in poverty. 71%. Flip that around. If you're married, 73% of you are not in poverty. 71% Single parents are in poverty. 73%, if you're married, are not in poverty. Now, I'm not the smartest person in the world, but I think that's better. Is that right? So you have a culture that is teaching you, you know, and you'll see celebrities who are, they've been married 15 times. You know, it's like Elizabeth Taylor said to her eighth husband, I won't keep you long. Right? And, and so you have this culture where you'll see a a celebrity who's a single parent, what you don't understand is they've got a whole staff taking care of their kids. Talk to a single mom, find out what it's like. If you're a single mom here, man, I'm praying for you. We as a church, we want to come alongside you and help you. We love you. And you would stand up and say, man, this is not the best. This is not the best. It's very important that we understand that we have a culture that is attacking and trying to destroy the family And Planned Parenthood is a huge part of that, and our government gives $400 million a year to them. Well, let me say this. We give $400 million a year to them. The restraints, they're being attacked by Satan. Personal control, the conscience, it's gone. The family is being destroyed. Then what about the government? What about the government? Uh, I'm not going to take any time here. We spend other time uh, talking about this. But we have had socialism that has completely socialistic, secularistic atheism that has permeated our government, and it is destroying the foundation of our country. And then the church. The church. I'll read something to you. The Episcopal Church, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the Presbyterian Church USA, uh, the Quakers, the Unitarian Universalist Association of Churches, the United Church of Christ, 
All of those denominations have endorsed gay marriage. Many churches in the, in the American Baptist Convention have affirmed gay marriage. They're opening and affirming churches. That's what they're called. And so when you have churches doing that, if the church is the primary restraint left in the world to confront sin, then, of course, Satan wants to undermine that. Now, you and I both recognize they're not true churches. Would you all agree with that? I heard John MacArthur on this. Someone asked him the question, what do you think about that? These, these churches that are accepting gay marriage? He says, that's not Christ's church. That's the church of Satan. How many of you think that's strong language? Yeah, strong language is clearly understood. And I'm going to show you why that's Satan's church in a minute. So God has given these four restraints to the culture and to, to, to the depravity of mankind, and Satan is trying to undermine every one of them. So that's what you need to know. So now, number two, how to answer a weak-minded Christian. How many of you have spoken to a weak-minded Christian about this subject? Would you raise your hand? All right. And many of you go to school with them. Weak-minded Christians, what are we going to do? Let's start here. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 17. How do you answer a weak-minded Christian with Scripture? All right, if you're writing an outline, that's how you answer them. You answer them with Scripture. Proverbs chapter 17, and look at verse 15. He that justifieth the wicked... And he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. Very interesting, isn't it? And so what are these weak-minded Christians doing? They're justifying the wicked, right? And they're condemning the just. And God says they're an abomination. So the first thing that you need to show, the first thing that you need to show a weak-minded Christian is that they have abominable thinking. They have abominable thinking. All right? Now, the second thing that you need to tell them is go to Deuteronomy chapter 22. And now we're just going to run through some scriptures. And let's just see if the Bible is clear. Have any of you ever heard someone say that the Bible doesn't speak against homosexuality? Let's find out whether or not that's true. Deuteronomy. So, okay, I'm not, no explanation. I'm just going to dive in. Look at verse 5. Deuteronomy 22, 5. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. So what is God dealing with here? Cross-dressing. Cross-dressing. Now, I understand that there have been a lot of preachers who have used this to talk about women wearing pants. And if a man wants to make an application to that, that's his prerogative. But that's not what the text is talking about. The text is talking about cross-dressing. They all wear, wore robes here. Right? They all wore robes. So what's this talking about? What they would do in their worship is if they were going to worship a pagan god, if it was a female deity, they would dress up as females. If it was a male deity, they would dress up as males. And it all had to do... Because why? What does Satan want to do? Satan wants to destroy the gender identity of a culture... Because if you can do that, you can remove the conscience and destroy the family. All of these pagan religions include homosexuality. It's very interesting. And when you start looking at it, that's what this text is dealing with. So God deals here with cross-dressing. Look at uh, chapter 23, verse 1. Now, 
Like I told the young people at camp, this is not a verse that you normally see in church. It's in the Bible. Let's look at what it's talking about. He that is wounded in the stones or hath cut off his privy member or has his privy member cut off shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. What's this talking about? People would turn their sons into eunuchs as a part of pagan worship. Why? Because Satan hates the distinction of the sexes. He hates it. The word is eunuch. Right? So what have we seen? Cross-dressing is wrong and transvestitism is wrong. Is that very clear? Isn't it interesting? There's nothing new under the sun. God's dealing with it. Look at Isaiah chapter 56. Isaiah chapter 56. I'm going to show you just how great our God is. What those passages were talking about in Deuteronomy was the worship. The worship. And who would be allowed to participate in the, the social life of Israel? The thing that we have to remember is Israel was a theocracy. God was their head. We do not live in a theocracy. We live in a democratic republic. It's not a theocracy. This was a theocracy. In Leviticus chapter 19, the penalty for homosexuality, sodomy was the word. Homosexuality as a word wasn't introduced until the 1800s. It didn't exist. The word was always sodomite, sodomy. And the penalty for that was death. And so you will be asked today, well, do you think, a, do you think that homosexuals ought to be killed? It's just that, do you know what that question demonstrates? Complete ignorance of the Word of God. And so as a Christian, talking to another Christian, here's what you need to say. You say that to me, you don't have any idea what you're talking about. You've just demonstrated, you're claiming to be a Christian, you are completely ignorant about God's Word. Completely ignorant. Let me help you. That's the only way that you can deal with these people. But it might hurt their feelings. Whatever. They need to know the truth. There were 35 different reasons you could be put to death. We don't do any of those. Why? We're not a theocracy. Right? So to a, to a, a weak-minded Christian, come on. But see, the thing is, they didn't come up with that argument by reading Leviticus. They found it on a blog. Right? Because they really don't know the Bible. All right? Go to um, Isaiah chapter 56. This is such an interesting thing. And uh, look at verse 3. So this is... A, this is Remember, if a person was a eunuch, if, if all of these things had happened, they weren't allowed to become a part of, of Israel. Look at the grace of God. Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs, Now look at this, that keep my Sabbaths, and choose the things that please me, and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name better than of sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. That's the grace of God. Look, if that's been your lifestyle, God says, if you'll repent, I'll give you a better name than those who haven't been through that. How many of you think that's the view of Judaism or the view of God that most people know? It's our job 
to tell the weak-minded Christians the truth. And I want you to notice the language of the Bible. Who is he speaking to? Eunuchs. Is that right? Look at what it says. In an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. This is specific language about what they have done. And God says, your actions, if you will repent, I will never repent. I'll save you. And I'll give you a new name. Praise the Lord. Go to Acts chapter 8. Look at verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and behold and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia and what? Eunuch, a great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem, look at that, for to worship. And what book of the Bible is he reading? Isaiah. Is that awesome? And what does he need? Look at verse 36. Well, let's start reading in verse 32. The place of the Scripture which he read was this. He was, led as, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they came on their way, and as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch saith, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now, if you don't have a King James Bible, you don't get this verse. Verse 37 And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Why did he baptize him? Because he believed that Jesus Christ was the Savior. And do you know what that eunuch got? He got a new name written down in glory. He's an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Heaven is his home. Eternal life is his promise. Praise the Lord. Let me give you a definition of a homosexual. One who performs perverse sexual acts. That's what a homosexual is. Well, I was born that way. No, you weren't. If you were born that way, then your father would be that. Your mother would be that. Your grandfather would be that. Your great-grandfather would be that. Your great-great-great-grandfather would be that. As has been said, I have met people who were homosexuals. I've never met someone who used to be black. Amen? To make it a civil right issue is to spit in the face of those people of different races that have fought and fought and fought for equality. It is not the same. It is a perverse sexual act. The other thing that I want you to understand is many times uh, you hear that, that the 10% number, the 10% of the population is homosexual. That's just not true. That came from the Kinsey Report in the 1950s, and he studied the populations of prisons and mental institutions. 
That's where he came up with his number. And Kinsey is one of the most wicked men. He did uh, sexual experimentation on children. He was a wicked pedophile. He was an evil, 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 wicked man. They make up 1% to 2% of our population. And when you say that, what people say is, well, there's got to be more. I know people. How many of you know someone that's in the military? Would you raise your hand? You ever seen a soldier? All right, there's 2 million. That's how many there are. There's 2 million. And, and, and so you've got to get your numbers. You've got to understand what's going on. And as far as them representing a minority, well, they are a very small minority. There are 70 million Hispanics. Right? There are more than 40 million African Americans. If the numbers are right, there are about 6 million homosexuals. Don't think that they are as, as pervasive or as ubiquitous as the, the media presents it. Every television show is forcing it down your throat. Now every commercial is forcing it down your throat. Why? They want you to think that it's normal. It is not normal. It is abnormal. A homosexual is not an identifier. It is a person who is per, who performs perverted sexual acts. They are not born that way. All right? Now, what if someone says, well, this is the way that I was born. Well, I was born to want what you have. So, who are you to tell me I can't come and take it? I was born that way. I was born that way. Was I born that way any less than this person who claims to have been born a sodomite? We need to reason with this. We need to think about it. We need to think about it. Now, I want to just give you some information that you really need to know about this. And again, this is for your weak-minded Christian friends. No matter how you try to glamorize it and make it look normal and make it look nice, let me tell you the truth. The word homosexual was coined in 1868 by the German-Hungarian journalist Karl Maria Kurtbeni in a letter written to sexologist Karl Heinrich Ulrichs. He used it again in 1869 in an anonymous pamphlet opposing Prussian anti-sodomy law, which is what it was always called, the biblical term. 80%, now, now this is very important that you get this. This is what's not told you at school. 80% of the people engaged in homosexual acts say half of their partners are total strangers. Is that normal? How many partners do they have? The latest statistics are the average homosexual has had more than 500 sexual partners. By their own admission, 50% of them total strangers. 30% have had a 1,000 partners. Is that normal? No. How many remember when Wilt Chamberlain claimed to have had a 1,000 ladies? Might have been more than that. He was a whoremonger. On the average, some of these men have had 300 a year, almost one person a day. The conduct of their acts has no bounds. It all was launched in what were called gay bathhouses, where they would have anonymous contact with 10 to 30 unknown persons in one day. You ready for this? 2% of the population, but 50% of the people with AIDS. It's interesting, isn't it? But it's a healthy alternative lifestyle. 
How many of you recognize that's a lie? One in 20 is a child molester. 2% of the population, they commit 40% of the child molestations. But let's make sure that we don't hinder adoption. I'm going to stand before God and answer for that, folks. They are 1,000 times more likely to get AIDS, 100 times more likely to be murdered. Think about this. A homosexual is 100, per, 100 times more likely to be murdered than a heterosexual. Why? Because of gay bashing? No, 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 no. They kill each other. Now, you understand that for many people, reading the statistics is hate speech. Just like going to the doctor and the doctor telling you you have cancer, the doctor is committing hate speech. 80% of homosexuals have a sexually transmitted disease. 80%. The average death of our population is 75. The average person engaged in the homosexual lifestyle dies at 39. 2% live to 65. This is an interesting study. A man did a study of 518 mass murderers where people were mutilated. 518. 350 of them were homosexuals. I'm going to explain why in a minute. It is sexual lust gone mad. That's what homosexuality is. Go to... Genesis chapter 19. So a couple of angels have come to see Lot. Look at verse 4. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, where are the men which came in, to thee, uh, came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. And so you know that the word know, what that means. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after them and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters. Can you imagine he was going to give his daughters to them? Wickedness. Wickedness. Why? Because to Lot that was less wicked than what those men were going to do. Wickedness. Look at verse 9. Here's what the angel said. They said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came into sojourn and he needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse? Oh, this, is, this is what the Sodomites are saying. Stand back and they said, this one fellow came into sojourn and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them? And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut to the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great. Now look at what it says. So that they wearied themselves to find the door. They were so eaten up with lust that even when they were blinded, they were still trying to pursue it. There's a book written by a medical examiner from New York City. He did more than 65,000 autopsies on murder victims. And when he saw a body that had been mutilated, 
where a person had been stabbed, but the person kept stabbing long after the person was dead. This was, this was where they would begin their investigation. We're looking for a homosexual murderer. And in the book, he says, I have no opinion on homosexuality. I'm, he wasn't a saved man. He's just saying this is our determination because those crimes, they went, they, they went beyond what a heterosexual would do because it is a perverse, consuming lust that destroys them, that destroys them. Look at Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 20. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be fools, or professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between them. And that's how they end up with all these diseases. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. And look at the height of it. This is the, It's bad enough when the men do it, but look what the Bible says. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the... What's the word there? So sodomy is what? Unnatural. Leaving the natural use... Uh, God, the vile affection for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And that's all of the, 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 the disease and all of that that comes with it. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. It's not genetic, folks. Without understanding... Covenant breakers, without natural affection, it's not natural, placable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. That's how you answer a weak-minded Christian. Could any of you read those scriptures and come to the understanding that God likes homosexuality? You couldn't. So what do we do for the lost? How do we deal with the lost? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm sorry, it's 1 Corinthians... Yes, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look what the Bible says in verse 9. Know ye not 
that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, an idolater is a person who makes a god as a god of their own making, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. Effeminate, that's the, that's the passive person in the homosexual relationship. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind, it's the aggressive, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. What does the sodomite need to understand? Just like the adulterer and the fornicator, just like the thief, just like the liar, just like you and me, they need to repent. That's what they need to know. So if we tell them that their lifestyle is okay and that Jesus doesn't care about them, we are condemning them and damning them to a Christless hell. Because the only way any person can be saved is by repenting of their sin. Ready for the good news? Look at the next verse. And such were some of you. But ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Is that wonderful? So, what you need to know. Homosexuality is nothing more than a perverse sexual act. Amen? It's wickedness. It'll destroy the person. Destroy him. How do you answer a weak-minded Christian? Take him to the Bible. Show them what God has said and then challenge them. Are you going to hold on to your heart or are you going to hold on to the Scriptures? That's how you answer a weak-minded Christian. How do you answer a lost person? Tell them they need to repent, just like you did. You need to repent of this, just like I did. I had to repent of being a sinner. You're a sinner. That's one of the sins that's listed. Repent. What does repent mean? You've got to change your mind about your sin and the Savior. My sin is bad enough to take me to hell. Homosexuality is a sin. I've got to stop it. If you're a fornicator, stop fornicating. If you're an adulterer, stop being an adulterer. Don't do that. Don't do that. You need to get saved. If you're saved and you're doing that, my goodness, God's going to judge you. God's going to judge you. If you're committing any of those sins as a church member and we find out, we're going to confront you. If you refuse to repent, we're going to turn you over to Satan for the destruction of the body. Your soul will be saved because you're saved. But you will destroy your life. You will die physically because of your sin. That's what the Bible says. Amen? So how in the world could the church then tell somebody that homosexuality is okay? Can you imagine me as a pastor standing up and saying, go ahead and commit adultery? Nothing wrong with that. God wants you to be happy. Again, it's just, it's just idiotic. And yet, how many of you have some soft-headed Christians who believe this? Some people that you know. Just take them to the Bible. There's no way that you can look at the Bible and come to that opinion. You can't do it. You can't do it. You've got to have a depraved mind. You've got to have a mind that's been influenced by satanic culture. So what are the four, what are the four restraints that God gave? God gave the conscience. The we- God gave uh, self-control. The weapon He gave is the conscience. God gave um, the family. And the weapon He gave the family is the rod. God gave human government. And the weapon He gave human government is the sword. And God gave the local church. The weapon He gave the church is the gospel. I want to finish this by talking with you about God's wrath. God's wrath is manifested in several different ways in the Bible. 
there's a scatological wrath. That's wrath that's in the future. That'd be like the tribulation period. Um, there is there's the wrath that God gives in, in eternal punishment, the lake of fire. There's wrath that's consequential wrath. That's sowing and reaping. If you enter into, as a Christian, if you go into that behavior, then there are consequences that are built into the behavior. But there's another kind of wrath, and that's the Romans 1 kind of wrath, where God turns a nation over to a reprobate mind. That began in America with the sexual revolution. That's where it began. And the Christians didn't stand strongly enough against it. And now we have taken the final step on that continuum. We've taken the final step by condoning gay marriage. The wrath of God is coming on America. Our job has not changed. When the Apostle Paul wrote those verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Nero was the emperor. And he had had a young boy castrated and married that young boy in an elaborate ceremony and lived with him as his wife. That was the culture where the Apostle Paul wrote that. Our job hasn't changed. It just might not be as easy as it has been. How to answer the gay question at school. What you need to know if you're talking to a weak-minded Christian, if you're talking to a lost person. Here's what I want you to get from this more than anything else. Know your audience. This message is not for the lost. This message is for people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and the authority of the Scriptures so that we know how to defend our position, God's position. Man, if people are lost, they don't need to know your position on gay marriage. They need to get saved. Amen? Amen. The carnal man cannot receive the things of God. They're foolishness unto them. What do they need? They need the gospel. But if you're dealing with a homosexual, that person cannot be saved unless they understand the sin that they are living in. Let me finish it with this. Let's all stand. Let me finish it with this. I know this has been a long sermon. Thank you for listening. An alcoholic does not have to give up drinking to be saved. Amen? But if he says, I refuse to give up drinking in order to be saved, he can't be saved. How many of you learned about some sins you were committing after you got saved? Right? When a person is defining themselves by their sin, they got to repent of that in order to be saved. Does that make sense? I am so thankful for the passage that says, and such were some of you. Amen? Man, if you know somebody that's in that lifestyle and they get saved, we're going to welcome them at Grace Baptist Church with open arms. They're going to be a brother or sister in Christ. We're going to help establish them in the faith and we're going to fulfill our responsibility and pleasure of giving them a life greater than they could have ever known. Why? Because that's the model that's given to us in Isaiah chapter 56. Amen? Man, we're not hateful people. We love them. We love them. We love all of the lost. Why? Because they need to be saved and God told us to go love them into the, into the family. But they're not in the family of God. They're in Satan's family. They need to be saved. How about you? Are you saved today? 
Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you're not, I hope you get that settled today. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but if you have a family member that's in this lifestyle, I hope I've helped you to know how to address them. But I know, I know that this is very heavy for you. We just need to pray for them. Amen? We just need to love them. We will never reach them by hiding the truth. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. We live in such troubled times.